Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea agree sale terms with Todd Bowley's consortium. Chelsea chuck away three points against Wolves. Chelsea win the league. Chelsea avoid relegation in the most dramatic of circumstances. A fairly big weekend then, Chelsea-wise. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Yes, indeed, listener. What a weekend it was for the Blues across all levels. To talk you through it, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, alongside the Athletics Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. I think I have the bags to show (laughs) for the weekend. Double duty. They've got darker, if that's possible. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, Sam Parkin's also back with us. Uh, Sam, you've had a big weekend too, some of it Chelsea-related. Yeah, Feels a long time ago, that Wolves game. It's all a bit hazy. I'm going to do my, my utmost to produce this morning, though. Yeah, I think we're all feeling like that. Uh, before we get going, uh, I'd just like to say, Sam Kerr. Right, on with our regularly scheduled <laughs> podcasting. Uh, the big story since last we met is the fact that the sale of the club is almost done. So that's where we'll start today. Chelsea Football Club says terms have been agreed for a sale to a consortium led by the American businessman Todd Bowley, who's a co-owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. Chelsea was put up for sale by Roman Abramovich shortly before he was sanctioned for his links to Vladimir Putin. The deal is worth more than £4 billion. In the wee small hours of Saturday morning, Chelsea released a statement confirming terms have been agreed for a new ownership group led by Todd Bowley, Clear Lake Capital, Mark Walter and Hans-Jörg Weiss to acquire the club in the statement. It said of the total investment being made, £2.5 billion will be applied to purchase shares in the club. Such proceeds will be deposited into a frozen UK bank account with the intention to donate 100% to charitable causes as confirmed by Roman Abramovich. UK government approval will be required for the proceeds to be transferred from the frozen UK bank account. In addition, the proposed new owners will commit £1.75 billion in further investment for the benefit of the club. This includes investments in Stamford Bridge, the Academy, the women's team and Kings Meadow and continued funding for the Chelsea Foundation. So good news then, Simon. Uh, First of all, do we know why it was confirmed at such an odd time? Well, as always, I have a little story about that. (laughs) and It's not that exciting. But I'm on my couch, right? I'm on my couch. I'm watching some quality, nostalgic television at that stupid time in the morning. We're talking half one, two in the morning. It's a retro show. Now, maybe American listeners aren't aware of this show, but it was a review of 1993 Top of the Pops. Okay? So we're talking highbrow intellectual TV. And then I I looked at my phone. I had a message from a radio station saying... Can he come on the radio to talk about the statement? And I was like, oh, what have I missed? Oh, only just a takeover. <laughs> finally, finally sort of being ratified, sort of. Um, 
I did ask Chelsea, sort of getting back to the actual question, I just found it quite bizarre that <laughs> I, was, I had to go from watching Top of the Pops to talking Chelsea Togo for it was a bit of a leap. Um, I mean, you must have thought, like, boom, shake the room. You, you had the key, <laughs> yeah. you had the secret. Uh, they called you well, Mr Vane, but you managed to get on the radio anyway, yeah. Well, I, I could talk about uh, some of the songs. Uh, you know, there was Shabba Ranks, Mr Loverman, um, <laughs> Apache Indian, Boom Shakalaka. I think that was the uh, quite a appropriate dance to do at that time in the morning for that takeover statement. Anyway, before I lose any more listeners, um, <laughs> I... So I think there's an element of Chelsea were aware that it was dragging on a bit. I bumped into bumped into someone uh, ahead of the Wolves game and sort of said, is that the latest statement that's ever been put out by the club? And I think even they were sort of thinking, right, oh, it's midnight, it's getting on a bit, um, and it still took another few hours. Obviously, this may be a sign of things to come. You've got to think, convert it into LA time, of course, Todd Bowley, um, co-owner of the LA Dodgers. Um, so it was about six o'clock back in America. So suddenly it makes a bit of sense. Um, but also I just think it'd been a, been a long day of, of sort of dotting the I's, crossing the T's. But um, do, does any Chelsea fan really care what time the state, you know, it's just, I think anyone connected with this process ourselves, the wider media, uh, are just relieved that that statement came at all. Yeah, even if you even if you read it at that time in the morning with bleary eyes, you'd, you'd have been feeling young at heart. I think uh, <laughs> yes. know, there's, there's no limit to what, that, what Chelsea can do. Now. Brilliant! <laughs> those, those both featured in the show. <laughs> Quickly, Google's top songs. Of yes, well done. <laughs> so, what 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 stands in the way of this actually being completed now, then, Simon? I mean, not much, presumably. Obviously, Todd Bowley no. was there on Saturday, but it, it's done pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Officially, the talk of the Premier League proper person says, but I think proper person says, but I think that already been pretty much done anyway. Um, the government can technically block it because, of course, they've got the license. Uh, they've got to grant the license for the sale of the club. I, I just, when, when a club comes out with that kind of statement, you know, they're they're not going to put that out unless unless it's going to happen. The only thing could be as if. Todd Bowley watched what happened on Saturday and went, actually, no, <laughs> I've changed my mind. There's too much work to do here. Goodbye. VAR, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um, Sam, from a, from a player's perspective, I, I guess the crutch has been kicked away now, hasn't it, in terms of, you know, they, they can blame the takeover for, for what's been happening on the pitch lately. But but this must be a massive relief for them as well. You know, m- maybe not the likes of, of Tony Rudiger and Andreas Christensen, but if you're a, a Reese James or a Mason Mount, you know, you might be in line for a new contract. But more importantly, you'll be thinking there's some, some stability coming our way now. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the players think too too far ahead. Really, I think they would have been safe in the knowledge that that this was going to happen, um, and hopeful it would have been resolved quickly. So, yeah, I think I think it's good because I think everyone's been discussing it, haven't there? And, and there's been a bit of finger pointing and a lot of speculation as to whether the players are down in tools because of this reason. Well, we can't have that excuse now, and it's not going to be a. Uh, an argument that's going to continue for the next few weeks. So, yeah, I think really important to get to get it finalised. There's something still a little bit sobering about seeing all those empty seats at, at Stamford Bridge. I'm sure the the atmosphere was improved at the weekend. It certainly sounded that way. But, um, yeah, really good that it seems to be nearing a conclusion. And then 
some plans can be put in place. Um, I did think that as Simon was speaking there. I mean, <laughs> I don't think it would be a stumbling block necessarily if they didn't qualify for the Champions League this season, but it wouldn't half uh, be a less attractive proposition. And it's, it makes you think of Roman Abramovich and that final game against Liverpool. Um, hopefully it's not going to come down to that. Yeah, fingers crossed. It would have been a whole lot easier if Chelsea had beaten Wolves on Saturday. Yeah, we'll talk over that game next. Trincao to Cicchino. So many gold shirts to aim for again. Mendy wasn't sure. And Chelsea are punished by Connor Cody. And what must be going through the minds of Thomas Tuchel and Todd Bowley? We struggle in executing the match plan from, from, from the first to the last minute. And on top of it, we get, we get punished. But we conceded way too many chances today through the whole match. Oops. Chelsea snatching a draw from the jaws of victory against Wolves at the bridge. Then 2-0 up and with one foot in the Champions League, the Blues conceded twice late on, including a 97th minute equaliser from Connor Cody to squander another chance to put one foot in next season's Champions League. Oh, Simon, I mean, we were both at the bridge for this one. It was, it looked like Chelsea were absolutely cruising towards it after an incredibly tepid first half. Those two Lukaku goals seemed to have them well placed. But I don't know about you, but I thought it was actually the introduction of Trincao which changed things. A player I knew hardly anything about came on and, and tore Chelsea to shreds in the time he was on the pitch. Yeah, but Chelsea were also masters of their own downfall to a little degree. I, I, I thought Wolves, given how poor their form was, that played play pretty well and, and Thoroughly deserved the point. You have to say that they had quite a few chances um, before and after they scored. Um, but but Chelsea, you always felt if Wolves got one, they'd get two. It, it had that vibe about it. And what on earth? Why on earth Chelsea continued to make the same mistake of, of basically losing the ball like high up the pitch and being sort of left in a three v three or a four v two? I mean, Trincao's goal. If he didn't ping it in the top corner, he had he had like two or three Wolves players to pick out in the area. Kovacic loses the ball and and they're in. Um, it's very frustrating because um, you're thinking you're tuning up with eleven minutes to go. What 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 are you doing? See the game out and the vibe around the place. You could just imagine. Oh, that's the win that that basically gets them over the line for top four. The Kaku scores. You know it would have been such an upbeat sort of vibe. You know Toboli's there. Or, you know, such a positive occasion. And then, yeah, like I said, it, it, I don't know what was more alarming, the fact that they played like they did it 2-0 or how they played after 2-1 because they just looked a complete mess, like uh, rattled, no composure. It's like they'd never, never sort of defended a lead before in their lives. Um, no one, I don't think, was surprised to see that Wolves get the equaliser. And, and confidence is at a... An all-time low, I'd say. Um, that's eight points from seven league games since the international break. And they don't have much time to put it right ahead of facing, obviously, Leeds, but perhaps more importantly, or just as importantly, Liverpool in the FA Cup final. Sam, Thomas Tuchel, obviously a world and European champion and UEFA's coach of the year. But I wonder if there's a question or two to be asked of his, his game management at the moment. I mean, he, he brought Saul on for Alonso at, at half-time, but it took a long time to make another substitution and, and it was Malang Saar coming on to, to shore things up, which, I mean, fine, I guess, but not really where you want to be. Um, is he is he as out of form as his team at the moment? 
Yeah, quite possibly. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, a strange substitution. They they were getting a lot of joy, weren't they, wide on the right-hand side. Um, you can understand why he wanted to reinforce that area, but I think there was probably better options on the on the bench, maybe sticking with the, the same system and just making two wide players track back a little bit more and double up with the the um, with, with the wing-backs. Um, so, yeah, it's a d- difficult period for him at the moment. Uh, as well but as as Simon says the players have got to take responsibility as well um, maybe missed a bit of control in the middle of the pitch with the two that were in there Kovacic and, and Loftus-Cheek but the way that they were counter-attacked on even in the first half I presume that is why Thomas Tuchel changed Aspilicueta and Reese James around in the second half we've seen him do that recently because of the the issue of Aspilicueta's uh, pace recovering um, so that was something clearly that was awry in the first period and yeah, the game could have been put to bed, I suppose, with, with some chances, but there was a sense of inevitability about it once Trincao scored. He had the the one-on-one just shortly after that as well, which I felt he overcomplicated because he'd had such a really good impact to the game. I think he actually tried to go for something really cute when he could have just smashed it into the, the opposite side. Um, so, yeah, definitely I think there'd be some things that Thomas Tuchel would feel this morning he could have done differently. Mason Mount, maybe, to just give them... The energy, um, the the control in the in the middle, um, better decision making as well. I, I suppose in the final third that was that was lacking, but yeah, it was a it was a pretty desperate collapse. Simon, only Watford and Brighton have taken a fewer percentage of their points at home this season than Chelsea, which is an absolutely staggering statistic when you when you think about it. Have you got a theory as to why that might be? I mean, it's. It's, it's, the home record wasn't great last season, was it, Tuchel? But but then you kind of put that down to maybe pandemic ball. But what's behind it? I I, I think I, I think I, it's quite scary. I started saying I wrote about this a few weeks ago, <laughs> um, and the thing is, well, I certainly covered their home form. I I just think that it's a it's a combination of factors. Um, that there's not one straight. Is Tuchel for starters? Has he taken on their attacking play this season? The caveat to that being no one could have foreseen Lukaku being the disappointment that he's been. Injuries has has definitely been a factor. But is there a lack of creativity in midfield generally? Um, And and just sloppy mistakes since since, um, November... Since that that goal that Jaden Sancho scored, the match after Ben Chilwell does his knee, Chelsea's defending has been awful. Gem- sort of the, the the quality, the the standards that they set for basically the first year of Tom's Tuchel have not been maintained. So if you're not scoring at one end, and you're you're not keeping clean sheets, inevitably um, you're going to have a, a a bad record. But of course. That totally flies com- compares badly with the away record, which is one of the best in the league. So it is it, is very odd. I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's one answer for it. Maybe Tuchel's a bit too defensive with, with that formation, but that in saying that, there's been so many games where they've you know the shot counts read twenty odd to four or whatever and and all the stats will say they should be winning games and they don't I, the, you sort of think about teams that have genuinely outplayed Chelsea at home uh, Man City obviously springs to mind Brentford you know that was just an all-round shocker 
Um, but there, there aren't many. Uh, most of the games they should have won, but but they they contrive not to. But it's something they have to put right if they're going to become a a top team, as in challenging Liverpool, Man City again, because their home records are outstanding. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the Leeds game briefly soon, but Chelsea have still got Leicester and Watford to come at Stamford Bridge. And I think at this stage of the season, if you had to pick two teams to face at home, they'd be pretty high up on that list. So a good opportunity uh, to put right the home record. Uh, Let's bring some positivity into the chat, Sam, and talk about Romelu Lukaku, because we've been waiting for this. I I thought, A, it was notable that he picked up the ball even before the penalty had been confirmed by VAR. He definitely wanted it. And then that kind of... Almost instinctive finish for the second goal, which was by no means an easy one. Um, this is what we were hoping to see and what we thought we were going to see, you know, in those games against Arsenal and Villa at the start of the season. I did not think we were going to be having this conversation after half an hour uh, on, <laughs> on Saturday. Um, I thought that chance when he was able to pin the Wolves central defender around the edge of the D was the start of it for him. And I just saw the confidence flow back into him. I don't know what you two felt, but I saw a bit of a change in Chelsea at the weekend. I thought there was less square passes, less safe passes, especially in the first half. I thought they went, I thought they went into the front players a bit quicker, um, whether that was into Lukaku or into Werner and and Pulisic running beyond. Uh, I definitely thought there was a little bit of a a switch in, in, in tactics and whether that was, Thomas Tuchel, yeah, thinking we need to get the best out of this guy. We need to we need to mould a, a system, a way of playing to try and get the best out of Lukaku, which I don't think's necessarily been done so far this season. You know, this guy's a, a, a top player. He's got to adapt to you know his surroundings and, and fit into the team ethic. But I thought they they played more to his strengths at the weekend. Is basically what I'm trying to say. And I thought he. I thought he grew after that chance. And then the second half, I mean, some of the closing down, I've not seen from him. The the, the, the winner, the penalty was brilliant play. Um, yeah, fantastic that he won that and then, and then stuck it away. And, and there was some really good moments um, in, that, in that second half, obviously. Um, you know, the, the best being the, the, the finish for the second goal. So a big contrast to what he has produced. And I was really surprised he took him off. I thought that was a mistake um, at that stage of the game as well, unless he was absolutely shattered. I thought, keep him on, see if he can get that third, which he looked like he may be able to get. So it was a a very, very good performance. The the, the best I can remember, um, probably since that Aston Villa game that you, you mentioned. Yeah, the only thing I'll add is, is sort of something Sam raised. It's just... It's, I don't want to be negative, but it really frustrated me <laughs> in, in many ways because I, I remember one of the pressing runs that, that Romelu made, I think after he'd scored his second, and he was really pressing Wolves players, like really running and with great energy. And that that that's not just confidence, that's desire. And that's what's frustrated me most about Lukaku since the interview. Because you could talk about his technical deficiencies, you can call him a flat track bully, um, you can question whether he's worth 97.5 million. But I've always thought there's a good player there. It's just, I, I Sam, Sam might sort of take issue with this, but you, you can tell when a player is trying or not. And that's that's what's upset me the most since January, is I just haven't felt that that intensity of run 
you know, the very basics of chasing an opponent, trying to win the ball back, trying to do something. I haven't felt that. It's been very sort of sort of resigned and stuff. So, but but any on a positive note, I agree with Sam. I, I I found it very odd that out of the attacking players, he was the one that was taken off. It kind of knocks him a little bit, I think, from Tuchel. You know, he's got a chance to get a hat-trick. I didn't think Werner was having it, the greatest game. Pulisic had, was a bit of hot and cold. So, yeah, I just, I just didn't sort of think that bringing on Havertz for Lukaku was the right move at, at, at that time. And, and inevitably, the cameras then panned to Lukaku when, when Wolves scored. And it, it brings a negative vibe around the, his performance. And Tuchel's asked about Lukaku's performance afterwards. It's a bit of an open goal as far as the media's concerned. Right, go and praise Romelu. And he says, I'm, I'm not praising him. Why, why am I going to praise an individual? after a team result like that, which I understand. And, and he was right in many ways because he's like, you know, we've just dropped two crucial points. I'm not going to single anybody out. But, yeah, it, it, it again sort of, it, it just continues that little Lukaku, too cool story a little bit. Would you have wanted that, Sam? Would you would you have wanted the backing from your manager in, in that situation you know if you'd been in the form Lukaku had been and then produced a performance like he did on Saturday or he not that bothered about what he says to the media I think it's circumstantial he's had opportunities hasn't he if this is a player coming in completely from the cold and producing that then then yeah you would want you would want a little line on the individual performance but you know he's he's been around the block hasn't he Lukaku he's cost a, he's cost a hell of a lot of money he's high pedigree um, he's not produced this year, so it probably wasn't the right moment. And when it was when it was happening, when I was covering the game, and he came off, oh, has he has he done that? So he gets a little ovation. And mm. but I think if the Champions League football was secured, then then maybe you could have taken that as that. But I doubt it very much. I think that would have been to just give them fresh legs and try and get over the line in what had become a difficult difficult encounter to get the maximum points. So. Yeah, I think it was tactical more than anything, maybe running the clock down. Um, I, I don't think it was probably for the fans to show their appreciation. It wasn't that good a performance. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's certainly the, the first step towards redemption. And I don't know, I'd, would you play him next week? I've probably, probably come on to that. I think there's an argument to say yes now, because at least it's something that the team's desperately needed. Yeah, it's worked having, you know... Um, a false nine and a bit more mobility maybe up there, but you can't beat someone playing with his attributes at that level. And um, yeah, it may take Liverpool a little bit by surprise. The good thing again about what happened Saturday was you really heard Romelu's name being sung by the fans for the first time. I think I've heard it sung recently, but not as loudly as that. And, and Sam, is, Sam sort of jolted my brain there. Uh, thank you. Um, when talking about the, the sort of bringing him off to get the vote, because there was actually an ovation. There was a loud round, and he also replied in kind with it. And, I, you know, I just thought, well, look, there's something good. There seems to have been a, a, a mending of, uh, building of bridges there between the fans and, and Lukaku. And that, and that could sort of play a little part in the, in the, in the end of the season, hopefully, you know, for a positive end that, you know, if if the fans are behind him, then 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 that might sort of see him continue that form for the final few games. So a point means Chelsea third, sixty seven points. Arsenal a point back, and then Spurs in fifth place. Uh, they are five points behind the Blues. Chelsea go to Leeds 
on Wednesday night. Massive game for both teams this. Um, Simon, is it a benefit that, that it's away from home, not only because of Chelsea's struggles at home, but because Leeds come into it in the relegation zone? It's going to be a testy old atmosphere, as it always is, Leeds v Chelsea. But but they'll be nervous, won't they? And Chelsea look to play on that, I guess. Everton. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure on a podcast I, I, I made a, a banterous comment about the A team, one one show. I think it's it is a very sort of similar. If you're in trouble, and if you can find them, maybe you should call the Chelsea team because Chelsea are just sort of handing out gifts left, right, and centre. If you're Leeds, you just basically watch what how they play against Everton. And your Jesse Marsh, you say, right, get stuck into them, repeat that performance. Their minds will be on the FA Cup final potentially. It's a great time to play Chelsea. Like you, you said earlier, Matt, about oh, if you could write down a, you know, teams that Chelsea would like to play at home, Leicester and Watford. I bet there's quite a few teams go. Oh, we're mind playing to Chelsea at the moment. But it's Chelsea Leeds. Hopefully, the rivalry will will stir everybody up. They, they they just need a win to take into the cup final to to feel have some confidence. You're right to say Leeds are, you know, that was a, a devastating loss for them at Arsenal on, on Sunday. They're, they're now in the relegation zone. A few weeks ago they looked like they'd got the results needed to pull themselves clear. Um and, and you sort of wonder sort of what the effect it's done to them psychologically to see Burnley and and Everton catch them up. Um but yeah, it's a massive game for Chelsea. Forget Leeds. <laughs> get get the win, and uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans would love to to sort of get a result that sends Leeds down or helps send them down. And of course, just to stretch the A-team analogy to, to a torturous point, because of the sanctions, Mr T, in this case being Thomas Tuchel, won't be getting on their plane because they've got to <laughs> drive there. Um, hopefully they'll at least save face. Um, Lukaku starts, doesn't he, Sam? He's got to after those two goals. Should have short shoehorned a BA in there, mate, as well. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I like that. Um, does he start? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, obviously, it's become more important than maybe we uh, would have predicted a week ago. But he has to make changes, I think, to, to freshen it up because of the, the the manner of the performance at the weekend. Whether Lukaku goes in in this one or he starts him on Saturday, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, but yeah, I, I don't think sticking to um, you know the the same shape and the the, the, the possibly the the most experienced the the, the best players available to him um, for for this one will be the way to go. I think you have to look at the players that are on the bench and just freshen it up a little bit, freshen it up. I think they're going to get the points they require. I think it's probably going to be four points, isn't it? Looking at the the games Arsenal and Tottenham have got to guarantee it. Um, they should get them in the two remaining home games. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd definitely make changes changes for this game and give players an opportunity to to rest and state their claim. Remember Hakim Ziyech, Simon? What's happened <laughs> to him? Hasn't started since Brentford. Yeah, um, very odd uh, in that he, he seemed to have a good run of form, didn't he, at the, early in the year, um, starting regularly and then, yeah, Clearly, clearly, Tuchel doesn't like what he's seeing. Perhaps, perhaps the sort of the uglier side of the game, the, the sort of the pressing, the, the sort of tracking back. Um, but Tuchel has been picking from a much smaller group of players now for a few weeks, and and, and maybe that's part of the problem in, in that why they're looking so 
tired and, and not not sort of seeing games out, etc. I, I I want to ask a question: Will anyone care if if um, Chelsea finish fourth <laughs> and Arsenal? They're the favourites, obviously, um, to finish above them. Is it a big deal? Um, for me, obviously, speaking impartially, I don't think it matters whether you finish second, third or fourth, as long as you finish in the top four. But I understand from a club rivalry point of view, hearing Arsenal fans giving a bit of, bit of lip, um, especially when Chelsea had such a big lead over them, um, might be a little bit annoying. But I, I, I just sort of think if you finish in the top four, that, that's all that matters. Um, particularly when particularly when you've had such a disparity of season where Chelsea played over 60 games and competed for trophy after trophy, whereas Arsenal have basically not had anything else to play for since since January. And I just sort of think some perspective will have to be applied um, when all that sort of ribbing goes on from Arsenal fans if they, if they manage to overtake them. That game between Leeds United and Chelsea kicks off at half past seven UK time on Wednesday night. Of course, we'll fill you in on what happened on Thursday. So that was the men. Whilst they continue to underwhelm, the same can't be said for the women. Anybody say three P? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Press high. Four steps into a mistake and that's She looks to rubber stamped another WSL title for Chelsea and in some style as well. How about that from Sam Kerr? That is world class. First touch off the chest, second on the volley. Thank you very much indeed. A striker at the top of her game. We haven't made it easy this season, but that's what's made it even sweeter. Um, we've won the last few games by one goal, and then to do it today like we did, um, it shows the heart of the team, and we never gave up. I don't know how many teams would have coped with losing as many players as we did, um, so this one is super special. There it is, full time. Chelsea have done it again. My goodness, they were made to work for this one. Behind twice, but powering through in a peerless second-half performance to retain the WSL title for the third time in a row. Chelsea imperious and women's Super League champions for the fifth time in their history. Celebrations can start. Chelsea champions. 
of the Women's Super League 2022. Full-time at Kings Meadow, Chelsea 4, Manchester United 2. An amazing finale to an incredible campaign for, for the league as a whole. And I think today, sun's shining. I think the way the team responded in the second half is, is, is why we are champions. Yes, Chelsea are champions again. Emma Hayes' team sealing a third successive WSL title courtesy of a come-from-behind win against Manchester United. 4-2, the final score at Kings Meadow on Sunday. To mean the Blues finished just a point clear of second-placed Arsenal after the lead at the top changed hands five times in the space of a couple of hours. Flo Lloyd Hughes is our person in the know as regards CFCW. She joins us now. Uh, Flo, they made hard work of it, didn't they? But they got the job done in the end. Yeah, they did. Um, shockingly as well. I don't think many people saw that coming, but I suppose it does sum up the last few weeks of Chelsea's season because it's been very, very nervy. That late goal for Sam Kerr against Aston Villa just before the international break. Then we had that really, really tense 3-1 win against Spurs in which Anker Schoenberger got sent off. Chelsea had to play about oh, 70 minutes or so with, with 10 players. And then that really, really nervy 1-0 win over Birmingham where they got a bit of a generous penalty. Um, but they, they did kind of huff and puff their way to the finish line a little bit. But yesterday, even though it was tense and, and probably not as calm and cool as they would have liked it to be, they still did it in style with Sam Kerr scoring Two ridiculous goals and and Gura Wrighton's goal as well finished off a really, really nice team move. So, yeah, all in all, in front of a sold-out Kings Meadow, Chelsea did it in very dramatic and entertaining style. Yeah, we'll talk Sam Kerr shortly. Um, so 2-1 at half-time. Did, was it an Emma Hayes team talk or, or was it the double sub of, of bringing England and Gion at the break which changed things? I think it was a little bit of both. I think those those substitutions did make a massive difference. Um, I think it was kind of, you know, all or nothing. Um, and I think Emma Hayes would have and, and kind of allude to the fact that she just really tried to keep the team calm because I think they were panicking a little bit. I mean, Aaron Cuthbert said after the game that they, they, were, they weren't panicking at all. But I think Across the last couple of weeks, I think there was very much a, a bit of a bit of panic among them. Um, I think they were were struggling a little bit and and getting quite nervy and and trying to force things a little bit. So I think the second half was just about remembering what they do best um, and and playing the way that they want to play and be a bit more aggressive as well. And then I think they. They did unravel United a little bit, you know, moved them across the pitch, opened up spaces, especially with that Gura-Wrighton goal. I think that was kind of classic, you know, classic Chelsea at their best, moving the ball really quickly, finding the gaps, finding the space, losing their markers. I mean, Gura-Wrighton had so much time and space to finish off that move. And then the, the two Sam Kerr goals were more, more brilliant. But that lob especially, I suppose, was the Chelsea press really working because latching on to a bit of a dodgy Earps pass, but turning that defensive approach into a goal scoring opportunity. I think, you know, those two, those two goals really summed up Chelsea at their best and, and probably is what Emma Hayes wanted to see from them in the second half. Uh, Flo, you're not bad in front of goal, I'm sure, but Sam's our expert. So let's bring him in at this point and, and just give some love to Sam Kerr please, uh, Sam Parkin, because as Flo says, I mean, that second goal in particular was a proper goosebumps, hairs on the back of your neck. How on earth has she done that kind of goal? 
Yeah, lo- lots of different components, I suppose. I saw her, you know, speaking about the, the psychology of goal scoring and, and visualization and, and stuff like that, which I think has become, yeah, a, a big part of strikers' kind of game as well in the last few years. Uh, I love the, the weight of that finish, I suppose, to be able to execute it on the volley. Brilliant awareness, but then it's the it's the the weight. It's absolutely perfect, and that's the that's the toughest I think to to execute that skill. So yeah, brilliant goal. The the first wasn't bad either, but but that one's you know right up there in 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 terms of the ones that she, she's produced this season. Flo, I know you were you were kind of questioning uh, her winning the Player of the Year, not so much for for her not deserving it, but maybe other people having had better seasons. But in terms of influences on a team, there can't be many, if any, players in the league this season who've been so significant for their club as Kerr has. Yeah, and I think what's probably so brilliant about her is she always wants to do it in style. She never really does the it, it the easy way. She always really wants to to put on a show. Um, and I think yesterday kind of was the ultimate. I mean, there was so much discussion about when she came over to this league, whether she would be able to tough it out and get used to the physicality and just get used to playing in England. And I think it wasn't about how good she was as a player, but it was about finishing the chances that came her way. Um, but I think what she's done over the last couple of years is build that efficiency, but also just showcase why she was such a big name in the first place, why she commanded such a big um, pay packet up until Penilla Harder arrived at Chelsea. She was you know, one of the most expensive players in women's football. Um, and I think she has kind of displayed why she is one of the biggest names in football in the world, um, why she's been on Nike billboards since she was about 15, 16. This is why, you know, she's a born entertainer. She's a big personality on and off the pitch. And there's no better example of that than saving some of the best goals of your career for the final day of the domestic season. Um, Yeah, I I think she's kind of proved why she is a big draw. And I think even though... Like you said, she she's had a very good season. Her numbers are still ridiculous, um, and she's she had scored some important goals that FA Cup final. Um, I know you were there, Matt, uh, in December, and then that big goal against Aston Villa. But it felt like, in terms of showcasing kind of the best uh, growth, the best consistency, Beth Mead, you know, maybe deserved that Football Writers Association award, but certainly on the back of, of yesterday's performance, um, Sam Kerr is, is hands down, you know, well earned that, that trophy. Hi Flo. Um, just want to uh, talk about Emma Hayes um, briefly. Um, she, she was asked sort of post-match where this title ranks and, and she sort of seemed to indicate it was the best. Uh, but of course, emotions run high after a game. You can sort of, sort of say these kind of things. Just wondering whether you agree that, that, given all the distractions off the pitch that, that everyone at Chelsea has, has had to deal with, that obviously with the sanctions and stuff, whether, whether you agree and, and of course the, the strong challenge that, that Arsenal have posed since the opening day and uh, perhaps touch on those, uh, those post-match pictures which seem to be trolling Arsenal a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it was, I mean, Emma Hayes has said from the very start, from that very first defeat that, that that result wasn't going to define their season um and they were that that title wasn't going to be won and lost on that game um 
but I do think uh, I, th- I, I don't agree that it might is necessarily Chelsea's best because I was in my head last season's win was more of an emphatic kind of dominant uh, title victory, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. But I do think what's happened this season in terms of what's been going on at the club and also injuries, COVID, those things that uh, that Chelsea have really struggled with this season, I think that does make it uh, a much bigger and better uh, result. Um, I think they were pushed more this season than they were last season for sure. Um, and I think for, for them as a group, that probably feels sweeter because you've done it against all the adversity, against people thinking that, you know, you were going to be you were going to be out of the race but actually bizarrely the way that the title unraveled and and how it all happened it's kind of really the fact that Arsenal lost to Birmingham that really made it Chelsea's trophy which is maybe a bit harsh towards them but if Arsenal hadn't lost that game they would be champions so actually it's almost like Arsenal were the uh the the masters of their own downfall a little bit um mm-hmm. but for chelsea to stay focused to still deliver in, in the moments and in throughout the setbacks and those tight games that they had like i mentioned that is still impressive in itself and that is the sign of winners because arsenal couldn't do that when the pressure when the pressure got to them they crumbled and that's the real difference between the two teams i think i think chelsea haven't played their best football consistently throughout this season but they brought their best when it mattered Flo, do you, I'm not trying to get rid of her because I love Emma Hayes, but <laughs> do you think there'll ever be a time that she, she moves on? Uh, or do you think, uh, and where do you see her future? Um, and, and is it still just about completing the set and, and winning the Champions League? Will she remain Chelsea manager until they're able to do that? They've won so much now. And I, I just don't know when that Champions League trophy is coming. I feel like it could be a couple years off because I feel like Barcelona's dominance is going to be that strong and having watched both Chelsea and Arsenal and City as well and when, when the way when they were in the qualifying stages in the Champions League this season I just feel like the gap is isn't doesn't seem to be um getting getting smaller so I I don't think that that Champions League title's coming soon enough so I wonder if if she might want to look elsewhere but uh, I just feel like they've got they've got such a good thing going there they've got obviously new owners coming in they'll they should back them um and if she can keep a hold of her big players for a little bit longer I mean who knows what more they could they could win but I don't know if now's the right time to be looking at other jobs Flo thanks as always we'll speak to you soon I'm sure cheers guys Chelsea, of course, can complete the double if they beat Manchester City at Wembley in the FA Cup final this weekend. That'll be a tough game, though. We'll preview it on our Thursday pod. And next today, more drama. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right, on Thursday, we looked ahead to the Chelsea Under-23's must-win game against Spurs. You'll remember Andy Myers' Young Blues needed to beat them at Cobham in order to avoid relegation to Division 2 of PL2. They did it. But only just. Um, Simon, you were there. Tell us what happened and who you watched it with. It was a lovely sunny day. <laughs> How long have you got? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the first time I've ever watched the under-23s at Cobham. And I, and I wasn't really sure where to sit. You know, because you know, you sort Neither of the commentators, either Simon. <laughs> it's yeah, the worst commentary position yeah, in ever. Play. But you sort, of, you sort of go, oh, is there, you know, is there a press here? And Anyway, so... I'll take a seat. Uh, I wasn't happy. So I went and took another seat, mainly because I could see the two call, the players, etc., um, were all in the corner. So I thought I'll go sit closer to them. So I, I, I'm, I'm sort of aware of these people that I'm around feeling rather tense, and as you'd expect. But I just thought, oh, I'll just strike up a conversation. I know. Oh, so how come you're, you know, like, are you just Chelsea fans or whatever? And uh, the lady next to me went, I'm the mother of number 11. <laughs> and I went, it was like a bit of a, t- I just went, yeah, that's Harvey Vale, because I didn't have a team sheet. Um, that's Harvey Vale. And she went, yeah. And um, anyway, so it was, it turned into this sort of great, great occasion where you're watching it with a family of one of the key players involved and live it going through their emotions. And yes, I spoke to, spoke to them uh, sort of before, during and after. Um, there's some lovely little nuggets in the piece that I wrote, which is about Har- just Harvey himself, um, that he'd been telling them, if I don't want to go down because because I don't want to be associated with being the, the, the first team to be relegated, but also about how the first team players are um, certainly earlier in the year was saying sign that sign your contract sign your contracts because they see this great talent that he is but fundamentally it was about Jamie and Colette Vale that the mum and the dad the the, the th- their mannerisms the, the things they were saying some of the things I couldn't repeat in the article um, <laughs> um, it, it was it was a lovely occasion and, and then getting back to the game Chelsea toiled for long periods barely posed a threat went behind, you could feel the tension, everyone was sort of, oh no, it's going to happen, they're going to get relegated. Of course, they had to win, they had to beat Spurs to stay up. And then 
to his credit, Andy Myers, the much maligned Andy Myers, brings on uh, Rankin, Hall and Joe Hay, all, all within the space of a couple of minutes, pushed Chelsea up the pit. They suddenly went aggressive and and they started carrying more of a threat. Um, it did make me laugh at one all that Spurs started playing keep ball um, as if to see out the one all score because that for them would feel like a victory to relegate Chelsea. Um, so you can imagine the scenes when, when Joe Hay um, pounces on, on the keeper spilling, spilling a, a Mason Burstow shot to score the winner. And it, and it felt very Chelsea Spurs, I have to say. Like it, you know, the, the, it wasn't at Stamford Bridge, there wasn't over 40,000, there wasn't uh, one step beyond. But it, it still felt, yes, very Spursy and very Chelsea against Spurs. Uh, my, my, my weekly opportunity to blow smoke up one of the Athletics readers' backsides. Uh, I read it, Simon, this morning, actually. It's, it's quite emotive for me because there was a lot, a lot of it hit home, uh, my mm-hmm. relationship with my mum and, and coming to watch me at Chelsea and stuff like that. So it was a really nice read. Um, what you. was the, the Spurs reaction uh, at the, <laughs> the final whistle, Simon? Was there any needle? No, no, there was no uh, Battle of the Bridge 2016. No, uh, no Cesc Fabregas causing mayhem. Uh, <laughs> Causing a ruckus. Um, no, I mean, I must admit, I'm going to confess, I, I, I wasn't really looking for their reaction. No. Um, but they, they, I think they just trudged off, looking pretty miserable at, at um, not being able to to uh, to relegate Chelsea. But um, no, it, it was great. There were loads of fans. And, and obviously the whole stands were full of family and friends. And, and afterwards, they're, they're talking excitedly, you know, once they re-emerge. Should, should obviously highlight as well, um, Trevor Chalobah and Malang Saar were played in this game, uh, a sign of, of Chelsea's concern and, and desperation to get out um, that two first-team squad members were involved. I thought Chalobah showed tremendous character and, and, and sent a message to Tuchel, who, who stayed for the whole game. Um, it's great to see the first-team support um, the, the under-23s in that fashion. But I thought that sent out quite a message that because that must have been, you know, Chalobah's going through a really tough time for some reason, not being selected, only one appearance in in the league for the two months now. But he showed exactly what he needed to show that being sort of playing this under twenty threes game, he, he he played really well and and was up for it and and wasn't sulking and you know he he did his bit to help Chelsea get over the line. But yeah, fa- fantastic. For the under twenty threes, and 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 as as the as um as Harvey Vale's parents sort of said to me, this is huge, huge for the academy in terms of not just the players that are in the academy now, but uh, the under twenty threes now, but the ones that 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 might come up behind them. Um, obviously, Chelsea under twenty threes recruitment or the the academy's recruitment. It wouldn't have been a disaster if they'd gone down. It's not like suddenly the academy's rubbish, but it is never to be going to have a little bit of a ripple effect. So for them to keep their place in the top tier um, is good, but clearly it's got to be a one-off. They, they can't they can't be seen to be struggling against relegation. They're too good for that. And finally, Sam, as Simon touched on there, big also for Andy Myers and, and your buzzy, his assistant, John Harley too. I mean, we, we've kind of mentioned the difficulties that they've faced this season in terms of player availability, etc., which was really a big factor at that time when a lot of players were getting into the to the senior squad. It's not been an easy job for them this term. The kind of assumption is you look at it and go, Ooh, Chelsea finished third bottom, what happened there? But there are caveats, legitimate caveats, which you can apply to why they have struggled this term. 
Yeah, I think we, we discuss it so often when we're covering the 23s. It's not, you know, it's cut and dry. This is Chelsea up against uh, X, Y, Z. They should win this 4-0 because you, from day to day, you don't know how many players you're going to have in your group. You don't know who's going to be out on loan, who's going to be with the first team group. It, it's very, it's a difficult job, I, I think. And you're probably gazumped quite often on a, a Monday morning by one of Thomas Tuchel's henchmen coming in and nicking two or three of your players. That's all the youth cup. The youth cup's coming around. So we're taking you, you know, Harvey Vale, Lewis Hall, etc. So yeah, they can't be in this position again. You know, that that's clear. Um, I don't know what it will mean for the futures of the, the, the staff because they, they seem to, they seem to do like three or four year blocks, don't they? And then they move on to a different position. Obviously Andy Myers had that spell at uh, Vitesse a, a few years ago. Um, I'm sure they're relieved. I'm sure you won't mind me saying we exchanged a few messages yesterday, mostly uh, tough day and um, a few beer glass emojis. So I'm sure they felt the heat, you know, the, the, the last few weeks and they'll be, they'll be really relieved to have got the job done yesterday. And, you know, just Simon speaking there, the character of the players, that will put them in good stead and also doing it in front of Thomas Tuchel. You know, I still remember that that sense of Rude Hullet or Viali, um, whoever else, you know, that was in the hierarchy when I was at the club, you know, standing on the balcony at Harlington as it was then. And it's like, right, I better produce here. Um, so having the first team lads come over, that's that, that's pretty unique. You know, I know Mason Mount and John Terry in his day would have gone and stood on the touchlines at Cobham. But to have Thomas Tuchel and his staff there yesterday, the lads would have known that there was a lot on that game. So, you know, full credit to, to them for getting the job done. And and hopefully, you know, that will, you know, that, that will um, have done a lot for their, their, their belief, you know, moving forward. It's a really interesting one with the 23s, not to promote another podcast, but Stephen Gerrard was on uh, Gary Neville's. Uh, what's it called? The the overlap the other week. And he was talking about when he took the Liverpool under-18s job and Jurgen Klopp specifically said to him, don't take the 23s because I'll just come and pinch your players all the time. <laughs> you have to play the same way as we do. Take the 18s because you'll be left to yourself and you can do whatever you want with it, basically. So it is a, it is a tough job, that. So well done to, to Andy and to John and to everybody uh, for staying up. Speaking of under-18s, Chelsea's got beaten 5-2 by the champion Southampton in their final league game of the season. They finish a disappointing 7th out of 14 in the under-18 PL South, but they did win the Premier League Cup last week. Uh, Simon, we've mentioned your uh, your piece on sitting with Harvey Vale's parents for that memorable game yesterday. You've also done a, uh, not a to-do list, but a welcome to Chelsea list for Todd Bowen. Yeah, it, it sort of meant very tongue-in-cheek um, <laughs> because he sat, sat and watched. I know he's been to see Chelsea before, but, but this was kind of him... You know the first game where he's really on show, sitting in one of the boxes um, in the West Stand, watching his his new baby, his new toy, um, and yeah, I just thought I'd uh, I'd with the camera sort of filming him quite a lot that he'd be like, oh Todd, this is this is kind of some of the stuff you're gonna have to get used to, or <laughs> and that included don't don't get used to bringing shades to to watch Chelsea games is. <laughs> The weather's not that good here. It's not LA. <laughs> um, Romelu Lukaku doesn't always play like this. Um, Timo Werner always manages to score a goal or, or, or have some goal involvement and it's ruled offside. Or in this case, we didn't even talk about this earlier, that 
I still don't think Sace was, was really fouled for that at all. He just fell over because he realised he was the wrong side. So, yeah, it's just very much sort of having a bit of fun um, whilst highlighting, yeah, perhaps you might want to spend, invest more than £1.75 in the next 10 years on this squad if you want to make them Liverpool, uh, to compete with Liverpool Man, uh, Man City because, um, yeah, as they showed on Saturday, they're a long way off. Can't believe there was no explanation of um, Tenman went to Mo, etc., etc. Simon, do you think he's unfavourable? That is he. Well, I, I must admit, I haven't heard that chant as uh, that often um, these days. It, it seems to it's, perhaps you should make a comeback and uh, yeah, because it used to be a, a real staple, didn't it? Yeah, and draw the draw the line and explaining celery as well. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Maybe there's an athletic long read on, on why Chelsea's chants for players are all based around 80s pop songs and, and how could we work some of the 1993 hits um, into a player chant just to bring it full circle. Boom, shakalaka. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, elsewhere on The Athletic, you can read Michael Cox's dissection of Chelsea's WSL title win uh, and Charlotte Harper's written something on Sam Kerr and how she scores those type of goals all the time in training according to her. Um, Sam, just before we go, it occurs to me that this is a very Chelsea weekend. I'd, I'd say you and I are, are Chelsea sympathisers rather than Chelsea supporters, but but even we have gone through the full gamut this weekend, right? You had wake up on Saturday morning, great, the takeover's nearly done. We might be back in full-time work soon. Come five o'clock on Saturday <laughs> afternoon, why can't these players just hold on to a flipping lead? Then you get to Sunday, yes, won the league, yes, stayed up in PL2 Division 1. Um, there's no other club I'd rather cover, I don't think, because there's always something going on and it's usually bonkers yeah well yeah I can't remember a weekend like this really uh and then yeah it's it's all a bit of a blur right now and then we've got double cup finals right coming up this weekend I think Lucy can nod here I think I'm working on 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 that uh, I think thumbs up so yeah looking forward to that and yeah lots of playoffs coming up this up yeah, I'm, I'm ready for June I'm ready for a lie down it's been um it's been unbelievable I can't imagine what it's been like for for Simon Simon, you can go and enjoy the rest of your so-called day off now. Well, I'm hitting the golf course, so that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember to take two pairs of trousers in case you get a hole in one. Uh, that is where we're going to end it today. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. If you could see the face that Lucy's pulling, listener, uh, you'd know that I might not be back on Thursday, but some of us will because we've got two cup finals to preview. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.